have everyone in the house of God tonight to praise God, to magnify the name of the Lord with us. Amen. A beautiful Psalm of David, one of my favorite uh, chapter. I think it's Psalms 91, verse 1. It said, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2 said, I'll say of the Lord, in my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. I'm so glad I have a God tonight that I can trust. He is my refuge, He is my strength, He is my all in all. Amen. We welcome our online congregation. We're going to invite you all to stand tonight. If there's someone with a prayer request, you can just wave your hand. A few hands waving, a couple of hands there. Amen. Let's look around. Let's pray together. Let's pray for each other as we pray. Let's pray for the man of God as he prayed tonight, preach tonight, that the Lord will anoint him and use him tonight as he minister tonight. Amen. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer and pray tonight. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Lord God, for giving us another privilege, oh God, another opportunity of giving unto us to be in your presence. For in your presence there is fullness of joy. We thank you for your mercies and for your love. We thank you, Lord God, for keeping us, Lord God. We thank you for waking us up this morning place us in our right mind, Lord God, for the strength that you've given into our body, Lord God. We thank you for health and strength, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for keeping us, Lord God, for being our keeper and our shield, oh God. You are the one that we trust. You are the one that we acknowledge, oh God, with the light of self in the Lord God. We present our bodies to you tonight as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto you is our reasonable service. Help us not to get conformed to this world, but help us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That will prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. We want your will to be done in our midst. We want your will to be done among us tonight in everything that we do. Father God, as we pray tonight, we pray for every person that raised their hands tonight, Lord God. Whatever the needs are tonight, Lord God, we ask you, Lord God, to meet them where they are. Oh God, if it's physical, Lord God, touch their body in the name of Jesus from the crown of their head to the sole of their feet. Father God, we ask you, Lord God, that you continue to anoint us, use us like never before. We pray anointing upon our pastor tonight as they come to minister that you will use him, O oh God, to teach and to preach your words like never before, Lord God. Open our hearts, our minds, O oh God, so that we can receive from you tonight what you have in store from us, O oh God, a word from you, Lord God. Oh God, if we just get just one word that will touch our heart and our mind, help us not to be the same again. And that will be transformed, that will be renewed. Oh God, I will continue to worship you and exalt you. You said, If God be lifted up, you'll draw all men unto you. And Lord God, we ask you to draw all men, every man and woman, every boy and girl, not just like never before, Lord God, as we honor you, as we glorify your name. As we lift up your name, Lord God, we call upon the name of Jesus. For your name is a strong and mighty tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Father God, we look to you, oh God, tonight because you are our keeper. You are our shield and our buckler. Lord God, we love you. Oh God, we adore you. We exalt your name, oh God. 
we thank you for being so good to us, oh God. We thank you for keeping us, oh God. Touch our minds tonight, oh God. Touch our bodies, oh God. Be with us and keep us, Lord God. Touch our online congregation tonight. Use them, open their minds and their hearts so they can receive from you tonight, Lord. We love you, Lord God. We come in the service in your hand. Touch every person in this place tonight, Lord God. Individually and collectively, Lord God. Continue to use us like never before. We honor you, we praise you. As we say thanks in the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Let's continue to worship the Lord tonight in Jesus' name.
them to say, yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, if I knew how to sing, y'all would have a singing pastor. Because I would have came up here and, yeah, 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 yeah. One of these days, maybe the Lord will let me sing real good. Where I won't hurt your ears, you'll just say, ooh, that sounds all right. Praise Jesus. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> God is good. And we always got to remember when we say God is good, it's better than we think good is. Mm-hmm. And so we thank God for his goodness and his mercy, all he is doing for us and through us and in us. What a great and awesome God we serve. And um, what a privilege it is to know the true and living God. Everybody don't know the true and living God. I mean... It's good to know a little bit about God, but it's a whole different ballgame to come to know who he really is. And so everyone may know that there's a God or the man upstairs, but not everybody know him personally. And we need to know him personally. I had a thought before I came up here, and the thought that I have that I want to ask you for you to ponder is most of us most of us believe that if we knew the future we would achieve more and our life will be better you're quiet what do you think about that do you think if you knew the future I'm setting you up I wouldn't ask you a question. I'm doing it like Jesus. I wouldn't ask you the question if I didn't think that I had the answer. And I believe that answer is really no. You wouldn't do any better. You wouldn't achieve any more. Why am I saying that? You ready for it? Because I preach to you the future all the time. Not because I know the future, but because what Jesus tells me to preach. I've been around long enough to know when the Lord wants us to focus on anything, it means something is coming that what he's telling us will equip us and prepare us and make us ready and able to handle that which is coming. Hmm. And so I've been talking about growth, growth, growth for the past three weeks. Today will be our fourth week talking about growth. And why do you think the Lord wants me to stay on growth? Because whatever he's doing, we all need to grow a little bit more to handle what he has coming. Future is coming. We might not know exactly what the future looks like that's coming, but we can rest assured that what we need to do to be ready is to just take the word of God that we've been hearing and apply it to our life so we can grow and be able to handle the future when it comes. So God is constantly telling us about what's coming just by listening to his word. Because that's one of the special things about being a part of a church. 
God has a plan for his entire church, but as he has positioned us in certain locations, he positioned us according to what he wants to do in us and through us for that area. And so he feeds us and he guides us and directs us, give us his word, so we know what to do in that vineyard where he has us. So everything God is telling us in the church that we're a part of, whether it's here or it's in Plainfield or it's in Prospect Park or wherever you go, whatever city, whatever town, God has started a church He will equip the church and continue to tell the church what he wants from them because he has a plan. And as the plan is coming forth, we should be ready to handle it because he's speaking to us. He's he's giving us, as we like to say, the tools, corporate talk, the tools to handle the things that are coming. So, so, So to think that if we knew what was coming in the future, our life will be greater. Ah, it's, inter- it's an interesting thought uh, because uh, there are people that, that, that they, they come into money and they say, my life is going to be better because I came into some money. And by the end of that duration of that money, they end up worse off than before they had the money. So we always think that if only this, if only that, if only this, and we think if only, things will be so much better. And in God's kingdom, church, listen to me careful, in God's kingdom, don't worry about if only, because God is in control of everything. As a man of God, as a woman of God, as a Christian person, God is in control of everything. So you don't need to have this, you don't need to have that. God will take care of everything that needs to be taken care of if we will just be obedient. We have proof of it. He sent this shepherd that was, that was on the run. Send this shepherd to go back to this great, great, uh, you, you know, powerhouse of a country to go back and deliver his people. And all the man had was a staff. And the Lord said, what's in your hand? This piece of stick. Let's not even call it fancy and call it staff. This piece of branch, this piece of stick. Yeah, yeah, that's what I got in my hand. Throw it down. So to always think as children of God, if only this, if only that, not good thinking. It's erroneous. Stay where you are and just work with what you have. Whatever little bit you have, whatever ability you have, whatever talent that you have, whatever that little bit that you have, don't think that it's nothing. Work with that. Let God help you with that, and before you know it, that will become a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. But we miss it sometimes because we're looking way yonder, if only, and we're looking that far, and we overlook what we have right now. This is for somebody. We, we don't want to overlook what we have right now because God don't need you to worry about the future. He's got the future. He's got the future in his hands. He just needs us to deal with the right now. 
And if we will become comfortable with the right now, he will make sure when the future comes, we are so equipped and ready for it. We will not be caught off guard. We will not be surprised. You know, preachers like to preach and says, you know what, when, 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 you know, uh, the social media era came about, God was not surprised. Right? God is not surprised about anything. He knows all things. So let him worry about the future. We don't need to say, if only I had. If only this would be. Nonsense. You've got Jesus, and he's got you, and he's put something in your hand, something in your life, and that something will become a whole lot if you pay attention. Somebody say Jesus. Hallelujah. Know yourself, church. Know who you are, what you are, what you're all about. Uh, you know, trust the Lord. It's not about what we don't have or what we have. It's about who he is and how much we submit to him. That's what it's really all about. So trust the Lord. Just a couple of quick announcements before I get into the word of God tonight. Uh, our Daniel fast begin this Sunday at 6 p.m. Somebody say 6 p.m. So have a great dinner at 3 p.m. Nice dinner. Enjoy your dinner. Uh, I used to have, I, I tease at my house that we, we will have dinner early, maybe about 4, and then about 6 o'clock, 6.30, you know, a little something again. You know, not, not this Sunday. I won't be able to get anything, a little something, something later on. Whatever I eat between 4 and 5, that's going to be it. Man, I like to eat. I don't know about you. I like to eat. And so, man, I got to stop eating this Sunday at 6 p.m. And if you will roll with me, we will get to experience something wonderful and something great. So somebody say 6 p.m. again. That's when we will stop. <laughs> That's when we will stop eating this Sunday. And we will keep that going until um, the next, the following Sunday at 6 p.m. Amen. I'm a good pastor. You know the next Sunday, what the next Sunday is? All right. Brother D knew. Brother D say Super Bowl. Can you imagine I would have made y'all fast on Super Bowl? The week of Super Bowl, y'all would have stoned me. We want a new pastor. He making us fast during Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what. We, I have the, um, before you leave tonight, if you want to get instructions on how you can eat uh, or what you can eat, I should say, um, th this form, this little page here is at the desk um, in the foyer. And so, as I mentioned, the Daniel fast just really says that you can eat natural food. And what that means is you can eat from Sunday to Sunday. You can eat any natural food, which will not include any meat, right? All natural food. Um, again, we have a little chart here that you can follow in a little bit, have even um, um, website where you can go to to pull up some meals, all right? And so um, you can eat whatever you want if that's what you choose. That will keep you right in the fast. However, for some of us, um, you know, you might want to, you know, give a little bit more sacrifice because you can, and that will then require that, you know what, you just eat one meal per day. For the fast, okay? Then for some of us, we can say, you know what? I'm going to go no meals, just water some of the days and maybe one meal some of the days. 
it's you can you you can work it the way that you want to you feel comfortable with and i say this because as i mentioned all of us have different situations. Some of us have to deal with different kind of uh, medical situations, and we have to eat a certain kind of way. So I'm giving you this well-rounded way of fasting together where everyone can be a part, okay? So, you know, one thing you don't want is to, 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 for the church to do something, and everyone can't do it. So I believe in this way that we're going, everyone should be able to do it. So um, I'm telling I told you last week, and so you have you know, another three or four days to get to the supermarket to get some natural stuff. Because you know how we are in America. We don't give a whole lot of natural stuff in the house. So we, you know, vegetables, fruit, uh, you know, no preservative stuff, uh, you know, natural stuff. So we can do that. So that will be for the next seven days from Sunday to Sunday. And in all of that, we said... We will refrain from using social media. Um, we just will make sure that um, no social media and electronics will be used for anything other than godly things. So if you want to watch TV, godly program. If you want to watch a movie, godly movie. If you want to, uh, uh, you know, watch a preaching um, um, conference, go ahead and do that. All of those things. You want to listen to the Bible on audio, all of those things. But anything that are from our world, if it's not for your job purposes, leave it out and get your mind on the things of God. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Hope that doesn't sound foreign to you. But, you know, it can, it can be done because nowadays, you know, we say some stuff and folks are like, man, that's crazy. You know, y'all might say, that's legalism. Y'all tell the truth. Y'all think certain things is just too harsh. Well, if it's in the book, you talk to Jesus about it. You know what I'm saying? First of all, we know there was no social media in the book, in the Bible. So if we want to start, you know, getting technical, we need to get rid of all our social media. I think we think we couldn't exist without social media. We did exist without social media. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. You, you don't think if we put down the phone and we just start, you know, living with no phone, just go to work, go to school, drive our car, nothing. You don't think we can survive? No. See, there's some people that don't want the phone because they want to be off the grid. There's people that say, I don't want the government tracking me. And they, they get rid of this thing like, get this out of here. Ain't no government tracking me. I'm just saying, so so it, you can live without all of this stuff. But we have told ourselves, oh, that's impossible. And so that's what we're doing. Also, this Saturday at 8 a.m. Uh, will be our prayer breakfast. We have uh, prayer breakfast uh, the first Saturday of every month. And so we did not have one kind of quasi in January because we had our um New Year's breakfast that was so great, so we didn't do that um, because we kind of figure you know that was kind of like the first day in the New Year, you know, so we didn't do anything there. And so now it's February, and so here we are. We're going to be doing it this Saturday morning. We come at eight, and we try to get done somewhere between nine fifteen and nine thirty. And we're going to pray. I'm going to teach a little bit, and so we're going to eat a little bit. So just figure hour and a half prayer, a little eating, and a little teaching. So this Saturday at 8 a.m. Also, this Friday evening, yes, ladies, 
Okay, all right. Sister Wyatt, this Friday evening? What? Okay, it's behind me? Okay. Okay, so there you go. I just want to make sure I mention it. Because, you know, when the ladies are doing anything, I hear it about 50 times. Make sure you mention this. Make sure you mention this. When the men are doing it, I don't know if they say that to us. Make sure you remember this. Make sure you remember this. But there you go, ladies. If you're a lady, please come. I believe you all will have a great time. Amen. Hallelujah. I think I covered. Okay. I do want to mention this. Brother Calvin, I appreciate you. You're my man. So Brother Calvin uh, uh, texted me and asked me um, um, the prayer focus doing our fast. I said, come on, Cal. This is why I, I can't keep up with everything. And if, if, if we're going to do this together, which we're supposed to do this together, this is the kind of stuff I need. I, I know I've got to be patient, um, but, but, but trust me when I tell you. I don't think I know everything. I know I don't know everything. And as we are moving together in this church, please, if it's just shoot a text, hey, pastor, you remember this or um, what's going on with just just ask or suggest or tell me something because I got too much going on. Still work my regular job. Okay. Um, so Brother Calvin texted me and asked me, you know, what the prayer focus will be. So. Here is the prayer focus as we fast and pray. We, we are going to be praying and asking God to help us that we can be led by the Spirit and that we will experience the demonstration of the Spirit. Prayer is all about being, uh, I, I'm sorry, fasting is always going to be about being more spiritual. I know for the longest, traditionally in churches, people will suggest that you can fast to make God do something. I'm just telling you how traditionally it was taught in the church, that if you want to see a miracle, go on a fast. You want to see God move, go on a fast. Now, will you, can you see a miracle because you went on a fast? Sure you can. Can you experience a move of God when you're going to fast? Sure you can. But none of us can make God do anything. He's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. He knows what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. So it doesn't make good sense that we can tell God what to do. So when we go on a fast, what we're doing is we're getting ourselves in a place where we will be in tune with what God is doing. That's what we're doing. So as we're fasting, what we're saying is, I want to empty myself of everything that can distract me, everything that is not spiritual, so I can get spiritually connected to the Lord, so I can hear what he's saying, so I can understand what he's doing, and so I can be a part of what he's doing. That's what we're doing. So usually, what's, what's interesting about that is, so that means that when we fast and we become empty, we empty ourselves of so many things and we become connected with him, he's been wanting to do the miracle that you will experience, but now you're just more attentive now. Now you begin to do the things that you need to do to, 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 to connect with the miracle that he wants to do. But we don't fast and, and pray because we're trying to make God do anything. It's not proper biblical teaching. Okay? We can't make God do anything, and you wouldn't want to make God do anything. Because the things that we think God should do, God know what he should or shouldn't do. And sometimes we're saying, God, you should do this. Well, how you know? God knows, but how you know? 
So I'm not trying to tell God what to do. I just want to be in alignment with God. All right, let's get our Bibles out. Let's look on the screen, if you will, and let's go to the book of John. I want to review a couple of things. You may be seated. I want to review a couple of things from last week so we can stay, uh, you know, flowing in the same vein. I've been talking to you about uh, uh, growth matters for the past uh, three weeks. This is the fourth week of this um, lesson that we're talking about, teaching that growth matter. And this is why I mentioned to you uh, before, when I first got up to speak, is that if you were able to know the future, do you think that your life will be better off? And uh, I'm sure for most of us, instantly we think, sure. And I would beg to differ to think that because, as I said, if we are, you know, striving to be the Christians God has called us to be, we will realize God is constantly telling us about the future. I mean, if you read the Bible, I mean, it tells you about the rapture. We know that's the future. You know, if, 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 if we read the Bible, it tells us that wars and rumors of war was come, earthquake and die. It's telling us these things. So we have the information about what's coming, the future. And it's the same thing with preaching. When a preacher gets up and he's under the anointing, the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and he's speaking the word of God, he's telling us the present and the future and even reiterating on some things in the past. We just have to know that's what's being said and take what we're hearing and apply it to our life. So when it happens, it happens. Again, God has given us this building so we can understand a whole lot more than we understood before. And so God always knew this building was ours. Before we even set out to say we're looking for a building, before we understood that we needed a building, before this church was even established, God had already airmarked this building for us. And so if you follow the process, you will know by now it don't even make good sense that we're here today. Why are we here? Why someone else didn't get this building? It took us one whole year to make the transaction. Why somebody couldn't come with cash money before that one year and says, give me that building? The future is already secured. He already showed us the future. You're going to have the building. When we walked around this building, it was already ours. The future was secure. We know the future by just listening to God's word. What we do with it is a whole different ball game. And so what I see a lot of times as a pastor, and I'm sure other pastors see it, is we're preaching and we're telling you what's getting ready to happen. And then when it happened, we're looking around almost like, oh, my goodness, this really happened. And the preacher standing there is like, why are you surprised? What, what are we missing? What's going on here? You know, or, or, or we, 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 we start planning on how we want to go about ministering within our church. And then, you know, things happen. You know how many dreams or how many vision people have received about this place packing out? What are we going to just wait till it pack out to say, okay, I need to get busy? Or are we just going to say, okay, let me be ready so when God starts sending people in, I can help to help lead them to Christ. Because people want to know Christ. And so when they come in, what are we going to do? Are we going to say, man, that guy smell. Let me move my seat. When they start coming in, are we going to walk through the door because we're running late that Sunday and say, 
What are they sitting? Why are they sitting there? They, I normally sit right there. Now we have an attitude. What's going to happen when that's the Sunday you decide, you haven't been going a lot, you decide this Sunday I'm going to the altar, but then, you know what, all these new people rush down to the altar so they can get their knees down and you can't get your knees down. you got to stand up, and that day you want to get your knees down. What's going to happen? And all I can tell you is I told you it would happen. And, and, and in order to avoid getting frustrated, Start allowing the word of God to take root in your heart and to work so you will be at the level where God needs you to be so you won't be frustrated. Because what happens a lot of times is as the church grow, if you're not growing, you will become frustrated because when we are not where we're supposed to be spiritually to handle what's going on, we become frustrated. We start looking around, we start fighting with each other because what we want to happen is not happening, but it all comes from why weren't we growing when we were hearing the word of God? God is speaking to us. He's telling us what the future will bring, but it's up to us if we're going to take it and do something with it. So that's why I've been talking about growth matters and trying to get us to understand how to grow. What's the most effective way of growing? What does growth look like? Uh, how do we, you know, operate when we have grown? You know, how does things work in our lives as Christians that are grown in the ways of God? So for the past three weeks, we have been discussing how growth matters and the most effective ways to grow as Christians. So we talked about some ways to grow. Last week we talked about in John chapter 15, verse 5, where it says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. So now we have a, a point of reference to say, okay, if we're trying to grow to do God's business, guess what? We better grow in Christ because if we're not growing in Christ, our intellectual capacity is not enough to produce what God wants us to produce or what he wants to produce through us. It's not about our intellectual capacity. It's about us abiding in Christ. He says, without me, you can do nothing. So if that's true, which it is, then guess what? We can grow all we want in how, we're, in, in how we understand growth to be. But if we're not in him, we will not produce anything that he says that we can produce. He says, without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So we understand that without the Lord Jesus Christ working in us and through us, all that we do is meaningless. So when Christ says, without me, you can do nothing, basically all he's saying is, uh, to get straight to the matter, all he's saying is, Anything that gets done without me, it's, it doesn't mean anything. Ooh, that's heavy. That's heavy. Now, we know in this life, we need a, a great education to do some things. You want to, in Christ, our education don't matter. I'm just telling you, I mean, it's hard pill to swallow because we work so hard and we spend so much money, put so much effort into making sure we become very knowledgeable. But he says, without him, we can do nothing. So whatever we're doing without Christ, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. 
So what he's telling us is everything that we can see, it will all one day pass away. It will not remain. But you know what will remain? My spirit will remain. You know what will remain? My word will remain. You know what will remain? Your soul that came from me will remain. So, but don't go away tonight telling people that the preacher said your education is meaningless. I didn't say that. I'm just telling you, God says, I don't need your education to do what I got to do in you or through you. He don't need that. All he needs for you to do and I to do is to abide in him. We said last week, according to the Bible, that to abide in Christ means to keep in fellowship with him so that his life can work in and through us so he can produce fruit in our lives. <laughs> this abiding relationship is natural to the branch and the vine, but it must be cultivated in the Christian life. So when we receive the example of the branch and the vine, I hope all of us can actually uh, you know, see that, that if, when you look at a tree as it's growing, you see branches off the tree, but you know the branches are not existing on its own. There's, there, there, there are vines or a vine that goes through that branch that gives life to that branch. And if the vine is not in the branch, the branch don't have life. And so that's the example that God gave us so we can understand what our life is supposed to be like as a Christian is that God is supposed to be in us, giving us life and producing in us and through us what he wants to because the branch can't produce. It's the vine that produces. We, I mentioned this to you last week. We must remember that the branches cannot and do not eat the fruit. I don't know if you missed that last week. Just think about it. The branch cannot eat the fruit. The branch just carry the fruit. And so when a fruit pops up, when mango pops up on the branch, the branch can't eat the mango. It's the people that come by, whoa, nice and ripe, and they pick the mango. The people that, 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 that seize the fruit and grab it and eat it, those are who that can eat it. But us that are supposed to be the branch, we don't eat the fruit. So we don't bear fruit so we can eat it. And again, here we are in practical uh, societal, worldly sense, you know, everything that we do, we have to benefit from it. We have to see how we benefit before we indulge. Mm -hmm. And the Lord is saying, will you stop and just, I am not unreasonable. I am not a slave master. Automatically, because you are mine, you're going to be blessed. You're going to receive abundance. Just do what I ask you to and stop worrying about the immediate effects of what you should get from it. Because remember, if we don't, if we tell the truth, we will be honest enough to say, uh, uh, let me mess with you, Shauna. Shauna, if somebody... Uh, asked to do a, a job. You are the greatest graphics designer that I know. 
and somebody wants to, you know, they, 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 they want a job, and so they come to you and they start talking about, yeah, I would like this done. You start thinking, yeah, and I want to get paid, right? It's, that's just how life works. So you want the job done? I want to get paid. And they're talking, and she's thinking about all the hours that it will take her to do it, so she's calculating how much money she's going to make. So we're accustomed to understanding, all right, let me move over, Shauna. You just go do a regular job. You know, some of us decide what jobs we want to take because we're calculating the paycheck. So what am I telling you? We have conditioned ourselves to make sure anything that we're going to do, we have to know the immediate impact of what we get in return. That challenges us to serve God the way we need to serve God. Because God doesn't work like that. God don't say, so I'm going to pay you $25 an hour if you go and knock doors. I want you to go out there for two hours and knock door for two hours. And if you knock door for two hours, for those two hours, I'm just going to pay you a flat rate of $200. There will be a $200 bill in the mail as soon as you get home after you knock doors. God doesn't do that. And so when, 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 when the word goes out in communication as to what God wants, it's challenging to us. Because we're conditioned to start thinking about what's my benefit. And, and if the preacher tell you, well, heaven. Oh, please, preacher. You know how long, how far away heaven is? I don't know when I'm going to die. And I don't know when Jesus is coming. I need to know what I'm going to get now. <laughs> Not funny. All right. <laughs> hey, y'all catch on. When y'all get quiet, the preachers know they're hitting something hard. That's why I, I try to teach you all, but you all don't listen. I told you I used to sit in the front when I was in church. And when my pastor was preaching hard and it was hitting me like double-barrel shotgun, preach it, preach it, and I'm acting like I'm loving it. It was just chopping me up, just, uh, uh. And I'm feeling all the cuts that he's given through the preach word. And I just took it. But the preacher know when you sit there and, you, you know, you don't say nothing, you're getting cut. You better, you better throw the curveball and act like you're not getting cut. I ain't like nobody to know what's going on in my life. So guess what? I told him to preach so he wouldn't know if I was getting cut or not. I don't know if he knew he was cutting me or not, but I made sure if he was in the natural and he wasn't in the spiritual, he ain't know I was getting cut because I'm jumping up with him. Yeah, you're saying it right, preacher. You're saying it. Go ahead. He ain't know if I was getting cut. But when you sit there while he's preaching, he know I'm chopping him up. <laughs> All right, let's move into what we want to talk about today. Today we want to talk about Christ-like people. And I want to take my text, or I've taken my text from Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10. You ever ask yourself, what do you expect when you come to church? What are you looking for? What are you looking for when you come to the house of God? What do you expect from me to say or for anybody that's standing here to tell you that's going to make sense to you or resonate with you or make your life different? Maybe I just need to stop and just start talking to you and ask you that. Because I think sometimes I just got to tell you how I am. 
and how I feel about it. I think sometimes we're here, and I feel like some of you are feeling like, ah, you ain't telling me nothing, preacher. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want me to tell you? Anybody want to tell me something different than what I'm saying? I'm, raise your hand and just tell me what you think I need to say that I'm not saying. Because I look out and I watch response and I watch body language. And the bottom line is, many people act like, this ain't doing nothing for me. I need something different. What do we need different? It's okay. It's okay. You can be smartest person in this room today. You can have more Bible knowledge than everybody else in this room tonight. But you know one thing about Jesus, how he operates, and a lot of things about you, but you know one of the things how Jesus operates? He will never take you to where you can get to until you show that you know how to deal with this part. Let me go a little deeper. I'm going to go deeper. I believe, some of you can judge this on your own. I believe, I, at this point of my life, I dig a little deeper into the scriptures than where I was attending church. I would never take nothing away from my pastor. I told you how much I love him and I'd do anything for him. But if I want to look at, because I always had a love for the word. And so... I have invested a lot of time and resources to get deep in the word. I don't teach the depths of it like that because if I do, a lot of you will be like, what is he talking about? So it would be foolish for me to go so deep in the word that I'm losing the audience. Right? But the point of the matter is, because I was a person that's of the word and went deep, I didn't sit back. I remember, I remember. The first time I went to ALI, Apostolic Leadership Institute, and Brother Readout was bringing the smoke in the word, stuff I've never heard about. One of the things I learned right away, and I still tell people today, don't go back to your church and act like you're smarter than your pastor. God will never honor that. God will never honor because you think you have more education or be, because you think you know more word than your pastor. If you go back and have an, have an attitude like you know more than the man that God has put in front of you to lead you, you will never amount to anything spiritually. I ain't never made my pastor feel like I knew more than him. I ain't never took no, you know, sit back and act like, oh, you know, um, you know, that ain't what the word is saying or he needs to go. I never did that. Never felt like that. And I believe my, my pastor knew. Listen, I, only, I knew about one God because of him. I knew about baptism in Jesus. So I knew. I just knew that I went a little deeper in the word. And probably that's about right because what? I had more time to go digging a lot of stuff more than he did because guess what? He was pastoring a church, a thriving church. And so he was, he, he, he couldn't have had enough time. And if back then, everybody was always on his door. Pastor, can we meet? Pastor, can we meet? And people just wouldn't do one thing without checking with him. Poor man, I don't know how he held up back then in just doing everything for everybody and still was able to preach to us. But the bottom line is, 
I, I look out sometimes and that's my question. What do you want me to tell you? What do you want me to tell you? Because, because the word of God is the word of God. And, and one of the things they tell you quickly about uh, whether you're giving a speech or you're ministering, what's the first thing they tell you? Know your audience. And if you want to preach to an audience what you want because of what you feel and because of your education and because of your intellect, and guess what? And it goes over the audience's head, who did that help? The audience is saying, what does that word mean? Who did that help? And the tricky thing is, and it's not like they're going to go away saying you were real smart. They're going to go away saying, yeah, but I didn't get anything out of that. We can tell you got good education, but we didn't get anything out of that. I don't know why I'm on that. We're not called to be perfect Christians. And when I say perfect, I mean flawless. God didn't call us to be flawless. No, we can't be flawless. He's the only one that was flawless. We are called to be complete in Christ. So we're striving to be complete in Christ. We must, however, follow the perfect one if we desire to lead others to him and his church. So, I don't know where I'm going to go tonight, but I will say this. I've sounded like a broken record or a record on repeat since the day I've been living for God, and I will sound this way until the day I'm in the grave. We must lead people to Christ. And ready for this? Most people that struggle in church do not do that. When you are about reaching people, leading them to Christ, you have empathy for everybody. Because it's so hard. When, pe- when you see people just, just not, they're lost. They need Jesus. And you're looking and you're like, man, and you're praying and you're praying. And you're like, Lord, show me how I can be a help so they can be saved. And you think maybe they're going to be saved. And you look and you don't see no evidence. And you have to believe God that he wants to save them. And you keep praying and you're wondering, why can't I do something to help? That is some challenging stuff. But it makes you have respect and patience and kindness and love for everybody because you know it is not easy to minister to a soul and to help them know Jesus so they can be saved. It's not easy. And so you have a whole lot more patience. You deal with people a whole lot different because one of the things that have kept me over the years through living for God is I always say, I don't want to do anything to hinder anybody from going to heaven. I want to know that I give I gave everything I could so people can get saved. I know I can't make anybody get saved. I know that, but what I do know is I can live the best way I can according to the word of God and love people the best way I can according to the word of God and give up myself and my finances and everything that I can the best way I can so somebody can be saved. 
The worst nights I would have not sleeping is when I do anything to offend anybody from having an issue with Jesus. Literally, I'm not talking about people that just get offended because they want to get offended. I'm just talking about if I did actually did something and, and, and it messed with them, that, that will drive me crazy because I'm, I'm really concerned about people's lives, lives being saved and them knowing Jesus Christ. It's important that we all put effort into reaching the loss. It changes how you live your life. It changes how you treat people. It changes your viewpoint of everybody. The Apostle Paul outlined a pretty impressive resume in Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul informed his readers that he was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. However, he was quick to inform his audience that despite his significant qualification by birth, education, and experience, he was still trying to attain the fullness of Christ. So here is the, 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 the heart of the matter tonight. The Apostle Paul, great, wonderful man of God, wrote a third of the New Testament. We know his resume, and he, in his writing, says, I'm still trying to attain Christ. That's a challenge to all of us. We're not trying to be like Paul. We're trying to be like Jesus. However, if that man that I've had deeper experiences with the Lord is still trying to do that, where should we be after that? After 30 years of walking with Jesus, breaking into continents and cities with the gospel, writing scriptures, ascending into the third heaven, and developing over a dozen of his own disciples who were now elders, the apostle Paul acknowledged that he was still reaching to be like Jesus. We all supposed to try to be like Jesus. Christians should pay close attention to Paul's pursuit of Jesus Christ. Paul provided insight into his inner passion to pursue Christ. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. That's what Paul is saying. But I press on. To possess the perfection, meaning the completion for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. It appears Paul was saying that after all these years and experiences, Paul did not count himself as one who had made it. But rather, he was trying to get to be like Christ. He wanted to know him. When Jesus gave the invitation in Matthew 9 chapter 9, to follow him, did he mean in theory or just in a general way? Follow me. What did that mean to us or to them back then when Jesus said, follow me? Did he mean some general sense of the matter or was it just a theory? I don't think so. None of those. When Jesus invited his disciples to follow him, he was saying, act like me. Speak like me. Present yourselves like me, treat others like me, and live 
like me. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if some of you remember Johnny James, but Johnny James used to always say it. He said, it's not, if it's not about Jesus, it's not about anything. That's Johnny James. If it's not about Jesus, not about anything. When Peter and John were called in question because of the healing of the lame man at the gate, beautiful. Their accusers recognized they had been with Jesus. You remember when Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, that was the lame man at the gate of beautiful, the temple that they were going in to pray. But when that whole event transpired, the rulers, elders, and scribes had finally succeeded in getting rid of Jesus, but... Here were two more like Jesus, Peter and John. So they wanted to get rid of Jesus because of what Jesus was able to do. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew he wasn't going to walk this earth forever. So he were training disciples that while he was no longer here, they would be just like him. And so we are called to be just like Jesus. And I believe for some reason we have put it in our mind that that's an impossible feat. There are many Christians that believe being like Jesus is not a possible thing to achieve. You're calling Jesus a liar. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 13... The word of God says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's one of the things that I dealt with within my spirit uh, a while back recently. Uh, remember I kept telling you that, you know, we're so polished now. Uh, we're so articulate now. What about this scripture? Do we want to talk about this scripture? This scripture said, they said, when they saw the boldness. We don't want to be bold about who we are as Christians. We laid back. Well, I don't want, you know. We don't want to be bold, but the scripture says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were what? Unlearned and ignorant. But no, we got to be education. We got to be educated and polished. And I'm struggling with that because I'm not stupid. I'm not ignorant. I may not be the most educated and eloquent person, but I think I'm decent enough to get along. But I'm worried about that because I read these scriptures in Acts. I read texts like this in the book of Acts where it says that they are unlearned and ignorant. I read texts where it says they turn the world upside down. I read those things. And so I'm saying, God, what, how do I, how do I fit into that with my life and living for you that I, I need to be like you? And these men were trying their best to be like you, but people call them unlearned and ignorant. And so maybe if you think I'm educated and eloquent, maybe I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. 
Because that's not how these men of God, these disciples projected back in the book of Acts where the power of God was moving and there was demonstration and signs and wonders. That's, that They looked like they were unlearned, ignorant men. So how do we negotiate that within ourselves now to say, what is that? What, what is that? I don't know. These are questions we have to ask ourselves and say, how do I live for God? Well, what is it that I'm missing? And right away we can see we're probably not bold enough. We probably don't go about the things of God where people just think that, man, what are you, ignorant or something? Man, what are you just, you, what are you, you're not cool. You, you, you're not learned. You don't, you're not, you don't have no home training. We probably need for somebody to say that about us. But while they're saying that, there is demonstration of God's power. So they're going to know it's because they're acting like Jesus while we're saying this. Because guess what? We can't deny what they're doing. They need to see the demonstration of God's power in our life, even when people might think that we're not polished, we're not sophisticated enough. They need to see the demonstration, and guess what? Who would care about sophistication and polish and all of this intellectual capacity? Who cares about that if we're experiencing the demonstration of God's power? The greatest compliment any believer could receive is for someone to say, I can tell you've been with Jesus. <laughs> the compliment is not about how great you can preach. Paul wasn't a great preacher. Nobody want to respond to that, huh? By now you're saying, I can't trust Pastor. He set me up. Well, why do you say that, preacher? Because somebody fell asleep while he was preaching. If you were a great preacher, ain't nobody sleeping. <laughs> Just say it. Right? Y'all like when the preacher rev it up. Boom, boom, boom. And the only people sleeping when the preacher rev it up is the babies. And that's when we say, man, he preached. Oh, Paul was preaching, I don't know, the Bible says for hours. Dude fell asleep, fell and broke his neck. But here we are, Paul wrote one third of the Bible, the New Testament, and we saying, you know, people sleeping on him while he preaching. <laughs> but the greatest compliment anybody should be able to pay to us is when they say, I can tell. You've been with Jesus. That's what fasting does. When we fast and pray, people know. Can I tell you, some of you should have experienced this already. When you fast and pray, the presence of God, the aura of God just come off your person. People sometimes might not even realize what it is. They just know as you're speaking, something is happening. That's God's aura. That's God's presence. That's God's power. And when we had been with Jesus, that's just kind of how it worked. This is why when the Lord was walking the earth, he didn't do like us when he prayed. Oh, in the name of Jesus, I command, I rebuke. 
rebuke. Be healed. Come out. Go and show yourself to the priest. Because the power that emanated from him, he didn't have to get all worked up. It was just the presence. It was just the power. And if we want to get to that place, fasting and some praying is going to help us. Paul's lifelong quest was to apprehend Christ. What does that mean? What does that look like, us trying to apprehend Christ? He says, that I might know him. That I might know him is a remarkable pursuit. On the surface, it doesn't make sense to know him. What does that mean, Paul? Watch this. I don't know if you thought about this, but I had to write this down because this is interesting. Paul. Paul said he would like to know Jesus. But check this out. Paul, didn't you meet Jesus on the road to Damascus? Paul, were you not baptized in Jesus' name and filled with his spirit? Paul, didn't you experience a personal appearance of the Lord while you were in the Arabian desert? Paul, haven't you been praying to him, walking with him, and laboring for him the last 30-something years? Paul, what do you mean by you want to know him? These, I challenge myself like that. If that dude is doing all of that and having all those experiences and he's talking about, but I need to know him, man, that, that worries me. That worries me. That somebody of that stature can say that I need to know him. That I may know him. This dude was in the third heavens. This dude had a conversation, an oral conversation. Paul was revealing his passion to know Jesus in every conceivable manner and to imitate him in every possible way. The knowledge that Paul sets his heart upon is not just historical knowledge of Christ. To know Christ is not just to know what is taught about him or what he did. It is to have a spiritual experience of his personal presence in your soul. You've heard me said this many times, and I'm bringing this to a close. You've heard me said this many times that we need to seek to know him, know his ways. Because we can allow the word to just become intellectual to us. We just know it. How many times you talk to people that you know, they don't even know a whole lot about God just from listening to them, just by being in their presence. But they can quote you scriptures like you have never heard. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Quoting it like a champ. But you looked at their life and you're like, hmm. So just knowing the word is not enough. And that can get you in trouble sometimes because the, knowing the word might make us think that we know Jesus when we just have intellectual knowledge. We just have information about him, but we don't have any relational experience with him. This is about having 
relationship, intimate relationship, experiences with God that will make us say, I know. And nobody else can tell me because I know. To know him in the power of his resurrection, to attain through knowing the power of his resurrection, to a knowledge of him, to be brought close to him through all that he has done and all that has happened to him. Paul says, I want to experience all of his life. Here we go, finishing this up. Only the spiritual man can have a perfect fellowship with God. Only if we're going to be spiritual can we have good fellowship with the Lord. The Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now Christ on earth was not holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. We know he was holy, H-O-L-Y. But as a man, he was not holy, a spiritual man. He had a body of flesh, and we know flesh is corrupt. But upon his resurrection, he became holy. Again, W-H-O-L-L-Y, spiritually, meaning now body, mind, everything was now spiritual. Most everyone would like to know Jesus through the demonstration of his power. Who wouldn't want to experience and see his power demonstrated? Perhaps, though, we are not as eager to experience the second part of knowing Jesus. And that is the fellowship of his suffering. Let me tell you this. A painless Christian cannot know the Lord Jesus Christ intimately. A painless Christian, if you don't experience pain as a Christian, you will never be intimate with Jesus. You will never have intimate knowledge of who he is if you never experience pain. Because he experienced pain. His suffering was painful. And in order to properly relate to him, we're going to have to experience pain. You can't tell somebody how it feels to, to experience certain pain if you didn't experience certain pain. An elder once told this story of how one night he was praying through some personal pain. He was bemoaning the fact that people had told lies about him and therefore started treating him unfairly. You know how that go? Somebody just say something uh, that's not accurate about you, and all of a sudden people who might not have been, you know, favorable toward you to begin with, they run with it, and they start, you know, treating you unfairly. They avoid you, or they short talk you, or, you know, they kind of, you know, just make you, you know, there's coldness that comes from them because somebody starts saying false things about you. And so that's what happened to this elder. Uh, you know, somebody told a little, you know, maybe it was a little white lie on him. And before you know it, other people are running with it and believing it and treating him in a disparaging way because now they're believing what they heard. And so this elder was praying about it. And as he was praying about it, 
the Lord interrupted him and said, I thought you said you wanted to be like me. Taken aback, the man said, yes, Lord, I do want to be like you. You know I want to be like you. The Lord said, how could you be any more like me than when you are, than you are when people are lying about you and betraying you? We want to be like Jesus, but we don't want anybody to lie on us, and we don't want nobody to betray us. And Jesus' response to us will be, how in the world are you ever going to be like me? Because they lied on me. They betrayed me. Whoop my tail. I had to go through all of that. You want to be like me? You got to be willing to take on all of that too. After a weighty pause, the elder meekly said, okay, Lord. The best response to being mistreated is not to take it to social media and rally all your friends to your side. I understand the era that we're in. I really do. But some of you that know me, you've heard me said this before. If I have your phone number in my phone and it's your birthday or your anniversary, I am not um, giving you no shout out on social media. I know you. I know you personally. I am going to reach out to you personally. Happy birthday. Happy anniversary. If something went wrong, I'm going to call you myself. Are you okay? I'm not going on social media. To me, that makes no sense. And so, <laughs> when you feel like you've been hurt, you don't put it out on social media and start sending in your window messages out. Because all that's going to happen, it happens all the time. And I look, I just keep scrolling. It happens all the time where we are not satisfied or we are dissatisfied with something or we're angry about something, we're upset about something. And instead of we go directly to the source, we post it and here is what happened. All of the people that are favorable toward us, they start commenting. And guess what? So now we feel good. That's how we roll now. Instead of doing what Jesus says, if you have ought... If you have ought against one another, you're supposed to go, go, go to that individual, not post it. You might gain fellowship with other people, but your fellowship will not be with Jesus when you're posting because someone hurt you. Because guess what? We're supposed to take our pain into prayer and pour it out to Jesus and tell Jesus exactly what happened and how it made us feel. Jesus can handle it when we go to him and say, Lord, I've heard about this. I'm just so sad and disappointed and frustrated about what's going on. Why didn't you do something about it? He can help. He can handle that. And you can go just like that and tell him. And he will not make you feel less than. He's not going to beat you. He will either respond to you or kind of just leave it alone for a minute. But it's okay to go to the Lord and express to him what 
you feel, all the hurt, what you're disappointed and frustrated about. We don't have to go to social media to tell them that. Go to the Lord. Go to the person. What we will eventually discover is that during the season of brokenness, even as prolonged time of weeping in the presence of the Lord, something beautiful will happen. We will begin to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. In ministry, if you can't pass the hurt test, you won't go anywhere in ministry. If you can't pass the hurt test, you can't go too far in ministry. In ministry, and, and, and there's a way to pass the hurt test. You don't get hurt and you walk around and let everybody know you hurt and you're moping. You hurt and you take it to the Lord in prayer. Because once you take it to the Lord in prayer, you will see your, your disposition, your attitude becomes a whole lot different. Yes. Yes. Let me finish up. I, I don't have much more time. We can be like Jesus. It's not impossible to be like Jesus. According to the scripture, we're not autonomous franchises that may take creative liberties to determine the model we will follow or become. Perhaps we may think that it is impossible to become like Jesus because we are flawed. And therefore, we should just do our best, is what we like to say. I'm doing my best. But you know what I love about the Apostle Paul? He never allowed him being flawed to prevent him from striving, pursuing to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. My attitude is a choice that I will make in every situation. Listen, many have tried, but I will not allow anyone else to choose my attitude for me. I'm going to choose my own attitude because I have the choice to choose how I handle things. To know the Lord Jesus should outweigh all other values in our life. To know Christ is more important than anything else in this world. To know Christ and become like him will bring about exponential growth in our lives. And the things that we do will have great impact in the kingdom of God. And our relationship with Christ will be a relationship that is very pleasing to him and to us if we seek to know Christ. If we're going to grow, the best way to do it is to align ourselves with him. He is divine. We are the branches. His spirit dwelling in us, we need to give him the access and allow him to work in our lives. 
Without him, we can do nothing. It's how he grow. It's how he works in our life that will cause us to grow and be effective in growth. Let's stand. Growth matters. It matters to God. Remember, we started four weeks ago and we talked about how Jesus grew. He didn't just stay the same. He grew. And so for us, if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to grow. God is wanting us to grow because what the future holds. He's preparing us for what the future holds. And hear me again for the last time. I don't want you to get frustrated and miss out on what God wants to do in your life because all of these teachings, you kind of let it go by the wayside. And when, the, when all of a sudden what God is doing begins to happen, you start trying to figure out how to make it all work at that time. And it won't work. It's no different than, here's a good example of it. It's no different than Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And everyone in the world is saying, yeah, that's true, but I can't tell right now, so let me just keep on doing what I'm doing. And that keeps getting repeated and declaring. And everyone that hears that, that, that doesn't want to respond to is saying, yeah, I will. But I know he's not coming right now. And then the Bible tells us that one day, suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, all of a sudden now, he appears. And we're trying to figure out how to make it happen. Too late. Too late. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, shake us. Stir us. Let the word of God that's been spoken tonight fall on good ground. For Lord, without this word taking root in our hearts, and growing and producing your fruit, good fruit. We don't have any hope, Lord God. If we allow anything, Lord God, to get in our way, we're going to miss out on what you have in store for us. If we don't bring our hurt to you, Lord God, in prayer, then it's going to control us. And I pray, Almighty God, that you will help us to not allow pride, Almighty God, to rule and reign in our life. Father, will you do a work in this church, in us individually? Lord, as we seek to know you, will you reveal to us our faults, our issues, and the things that will get in our way of us coming to the place of knowing you in a more intimate way? We do want to know you. We do want to take our rightful place in you. We do want to be who you called us to be, Lord Jesus. I pray tonight that your will be done in each and every one of our lives. And that, Lord God, we will truly take our rightful place. Help us, Almighty God. Let this word not escape us, Lord. Father, I know you're constantly speaking. Because you have a plan and you're working and you're moving, Lord God. And a lot of times we want to see it before we actually begin to do it. But Lord, I pray that this church will begin to operate in faith.
like we've never operated in faith. That we will be led by the Spirit of God and not by our flesh and not by our experiences and not by the things that have hurt us. But help us to be led by the Spirit of God. Help us to grow from these past four weeks of, of, of the Word that's being spoken into our hearts. Lord, if we need to go back and review and look, Lord God, we have the resource now to go back and listen to the Word of God. And whatever the Word says, according to what's written, Lord, that we will do what you want us to do. Whatever the Word says, oh God, that, that's spoken by the function of the Holy Ghost, we will go and do, Lord God. Shake us up, stir us up, empower us, Lord God, and help us to go forward. We want to grow, Lord, and we want to have the influence and the impact that you call us to have in our vineyard. Bless this church. Strengthen this church. Oh, God, have your way in us. We thank you tonight. As we go from this place, Lord God, oh, my God, will you keep us? Will you give us safe travels tonight as we travel to our respective place of dwelling? As we give you the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. We need you, Jesus. Don't forget they have the basket in the back. Give if you can. God bless you. Have a great rest of your night. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Right now, Lord Jesus. Yes, we bow our knees. Oh, hallelujah. We worship you. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you right now, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah.